Thank you, Lord, for your word and the privilege of studying it together like this. And we, we know that your word never returns to you void, and we know that we are enriched just from our time of study like this. So bless us and help us and guide us through your word as we study it here together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Exodus 19. In the third month of the children of Israel's departure from Egypt, on this day they arrived in the desert of Sinai. Okay, this means that they've been gone from Egypt for three months. Some people have asked, you know, how long has it been? It's the third month since their departure. Um, the, the desert or wilderness of Sinai is, and I think I have my geography correct here, is a smaller part of the much larger wilderness or desert of sin. Um, I'm sure you remember way back when we started this and Moses was at the burning bush. Um, Yahweh told Moses, he said, uh, you're going to know, this is to paraphrase, you're going to know this whole thing is for real when you go get those people and they follow you and you come back to this very place. Well, Moses was on Sinai. He was up in that area when, when he saw the burning bush. So, yeah. Huh? Oh, okay. Ugh. Somebody needs to lose some weight. I don't know. <laughs> uh, they journeyed from Rephidim, and they arrived in, arrived in the desert of Sinai. They encamped in the desert. Israel encamped there opposite the mountain. Okay, so they're in the desert. Remember, they had no water. Horeb, which is part of Sinai, the rock was struck, water comes out, so they have water. Where they were previously, they were, you know, okay, you think of this, what, two and a half million people or so. I don't know how many animals they had. They had a lot of animals with them. Animals have to have water. People have to have water. Um, so the, the, the situation of going back and forth to get water and do the things that you need to do, it was pretty rough. So this gets them closer to the source where the water comes. That's a good thing. Uh, and they're going to be camped here opposite this mountain for a while. Um, so Moses ascended to Elohim. And Yahweh called to him from the mountain, saying, So shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. Important point here is, that Moses is God's designated intermediary. He is, he is God's chosen servant. Anybody else, like later on, he'll say, he'll say to, to Moses for him to bring Aaron up with him. Well, God doesn't tell Aaron. God tells Moses to bring Aaron. This is how God operates, and this is how he's operating with the, the people of Israel. Uh, the great thing here is that everything so far leading up to this point, but even even more so 
now with this experience in chapter 19, uh, the leadership and the position of Moses is, is just secured and affirmed by all that happens here. Okay, so shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Now this whole thing is a thing of grace. Um, they didn't deserve it. They've complained. They've doubted. They've murmured. Uh, they've belly ached. But God did it because he said he was going to do it. So this whole thing is a thing of grace. Now, here is, here is the beginning it's a summary of what the covenant is between Yahweh and Israel. So you had covenants. You had the Abrahamic covenant and then the descendants of Abraham. They have a covenant. There's a certain covenant. This is a conditional covenant, however, here. Because the word if is in there. Verse 5. Now if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be to me a special treasure above all peoples because I own the whole earth. That's what he says here. You can't... Here, here is the position of Yahweh. Yahweh says, don't even question me about my choice of people because I own everybody and I can do with them what I want to. In Romans, Paul quotes the prophet of the Old Testament and Paul, Paul, um, he sort of presupposes the objection some people have with, with, with God's uh, divine sovereignty and his elective purpose. And Paul essentially says to transliter to trans, to, to say what, what Paul said in a summary, Paul, Paul said of God, God said, I'm the potter, you're the clay. Who are you to tell me what to make? When I, when I put the clay on the, on the spinning wheel, is the clay going to tell the potter what he's going to make? Well, of course not. I may make a spittoon. I may make a, a plate you can eat out of or a jar you can drink from, or a slop bucket. I can make what I want to out of this clay, and the clay will not tell me what to make. This is sort of what God is saying here. I own the whole earth. This whole thing is mine. Sometimes we get away from the ownership of God. We don't own anything. God owns everything. He, he's uh, Things we haven't even seen, God owns it. Uh, he's in control of it. And the, there's, a, there's a presupposition here of what would go through the mind. God says, God says to the people here, there's a covenant here. You're going to have to obey me and keep the covenant. And then you're going to be, to me, a special treasure above everybody else. Well, yeah, there probably would be some people that would say, man, you've passed over a lot of good people. You've passed over a lot of mighty nations. You've passed over a lot of wealthy tribes and, and nations. You know, we're, we're fresh out of slavery and we don't have anything. 
God knows the thoughts and he just says, here's why I'll tell you that you'll be a special treasure above everybody else in the world because I own the world and I will make to myself whoever I want to make to myself uh, a special people. So that's what he says to Israel. Now I got to tell you, this is, this is something really special. And the rest of the Old Testament teaches us how they messed it up. Look at verse 6. <clears throat> you will be to me a kingdom of kingly priests and a holy nation. Okay, now that's the, that's the very beginning of the covenant with them. Well, what are we going to have to do? If you do this, if you do that, well, what are we going to have to do? You're going to have to be a kingdom. In other words, they're going to become a kingdom. Already, already looking to the time of the kings, but beyond that, Messiah. You will be to me a kingdom of kingly priests and a holy nation. All right, number one, a kingdom of kingly priests. Peter says that about the church, essentially, in, in, his, in his epistle. God says in verse 5, I own the whole world. I've chosen you as a special treasure above all peoples, but here's the deal. You're going to see and hear and have revealed to you directly things about me that nobody else will have, but here's your job to tell everybody else. That's what they're supposed to do. They, they, have, they have royalty. They have a royal position, but they also have a priestly position. And that priestly position, you know what a priest is. He, he's between God and man. He tells man about God and he tells God about man. Uh, so he's, he witnesses and he prays. Um, this is what they are called to do. So this is the very, this is the, uh, the, the you know, this is the preface or the whatever you want to call it uh, to, the, to the covenant. This is the first thing. A kingdom of kingly priests. You're going to have a job. You're going to see stuff. You're going to receive a divine revelation. And of course, this goes on for hundreds of years. Uh, the prophets uh, receive the, mo the works of Moses, uh, the works of the prophets, the divinely inspired works of the prophets. Uh, the script, they call them the scriptures or the writings, which would be Psalms and Song of Solomon and all that, Proverbs. I'm going to deposit it with you. That's what he's, you know, that's, that's going to work out. You're going to have my word directly. Now, your job is just to tell everybody else. You, you proclaim who I am. There's one God, you know. And they're just now beginning to come around. Here he is. He, God himself preaches to them through Moses of monotheism. There are no other gods but me. There's no such thing as another God. This whole earth is mine. All the people are mine. And I've chosen you to be a special treasure and you to be a kingdom of kingly priests and a holy nation. All right, second thing here is the holy nation. The term holy nation means that they are set apart from everybody else. That's what it means. And in that set apartness, in that sanctification, in that holiness... Their job is to pursue the things of God 
and live within that realm of obedience. That's, that's their job. So that not only would they proclaim with their words and their mouths the true and living God, His greatness and His mightiness and His willingness to save, but they would also show the world what it's like to live as God's people. So this is, what they're, this is what they're supposed to do. This is the beginning of the covenant here with Israel. These are the words that you will speak to the sons of Israel. Moses came, summoned the elders of Israel, and placed before them all these words that Yahweh had commanded him. And all the people replied in unison and said, all that Yahweh has spoken we shall do. Uh, we're all supposed to break out in laughter when we hear this. <laughs> because we know the rest of the Old Testament. I mean, Moses hasn't even gone up there yet and gotten, you know, you know to look ahead. They're already breaking the commandments by worshiping a golden calf before Moses ever brings it back. Oh, we're going to do everything God says. They don't even know what he said yet. Right? But they replied in unison, all that Yahweh has spoken, we shall do. Moses took the words of the people back to Yahweh. It's, it's not, okay. Moses was of pure heart and great faith. He was a trustworthy servant of Yahweh. Can't say that about the rest of the two and a half million or so Israelites who are down there. This is why this is why this uh, intermediate, intermediary work is so important. Moses is also a prophet. We talked about that, I think, last time. Moses received the divine revelation directly from God, and then he would proclaim it to the people. That's what a prophet does. So he's God's prophet. He's God's leader. He's God's chosen servant. He takes, he takes what the people have said. Okay, he goes to the people. And he tells them what Yahweh said. Okay, Yahweh said, you're my special people. You just got to keep the covenant and obey my word um, and be a kingdom of, of kingly priests and be a holy people. Just follow God. Everything he says we're going to do. So back to Yahweh, Moses goes. It's not that Yahweh didn't already know, but this was a very important thing for the people to see the process of how Yahweh would work with them. Uh, verse 9, Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in the thickness of the cloud in order that the people hear when I speak to you, and they will also believe you forever. And Moses relayed the words of the people to Yahweh. I'll make an interesting observation in verse 9. Um... They don't see, all they see is the presence that Yahweh is in there somewhere, but they don't see Yahweh. They see His glory, they see His presence, but they don't see Him. Uh, now they can hear Him. They hear Him out of this thick cloud, and they only see His presence. Interesting translation here. I don't get too deep into this, but it's interesting to me because, because of many dealings that I've had with, with Jewish people. They're, they're my friends. I have nothing against them. Uh, 
But we've had honest, this has been years ago when I was in the clothing business, we have honest discussions about the doctrine of salvation. Um, and I've probably related this story to you before, but there was a particular man who owned a big clothing company and was also the main salesman. Uh, and we were, somehow, we were among his chief clients, and so we, he dealt with us directly. Man, he was a tough guy. He, he could, he could out-argue anybody. He just, you know, was a Jewish salesman. Um, and he would, he would use expletives every once in a while. He, he respected Daddy, though. Daddy would kind of say, you know, now we don't talk like that around here. Just calm yourself down. I became a friend with him, and he was explaining. And he was a, he was he called himself a modern Jew, and he explained to me there's Orthodox Jews and this kind of Jew and this kind. Of, he was a modern Jew. I said, well, "What does that mean?" He said, "Well, it means that if there is a God, and if there is a Torah, the Law of Moses, we know enough. Being raised up as Jews, we know enough to know." that uh, God promised us the righteousness of Abraham. And he also gave to us Moses. And so I said, yeah, so, so I said, you, you have salvation somewhere in there. He said, oh yeah, yeah, you know, said, the weir of Abraham said that's the way it is. No matter how you live, no, we, this is it. So, I was looking at various translations of this Hebrew text this past week. Let me ask, okay, somebody just read to me your translation uh, beginning in the part where it says, in order that the people hear when I speak to you. Somebody read what your translation says there. Verse 9. Verse 9. Believe you forever. Okay. ESV. All right. Is that about what everybody else has said? Jews these days, and for a long time, have translated it like this, and they will also believe in you forever. Can you see the little subtle difference there that they would believe in Moses uh, apparently for some kind of salvation or whatever. And it doesn't really say that here uh, like that in the text. Anyway, in order that the people hear when I speak to you and they will also believe you forever. So what Moses says, people will hear from Yahweh out of the cloud. Moses brings exactly what he said. And that means that the, the writings of Moses will always be believed by the Israelites because this first generation of millions heard it directly just like Moses heard it. And this would have been passed on to generation to generation. Moses relayed the words of the people to Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and they will wash their garments. And they'll be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Yahweh will descend before the eyes of all the people upon Mount Sinai. So they're going to see him descend and come down, thick cloud, 
and come right down on to Mount Sinai. So what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to take baths and clean their clothes, wash all their clothes. They can't have anything dirty in their tent. Now, I want you to think about this. For two days, it's nothing but laundry no, and taking baths. Clean yourselves up. Get all your clothes clean. And in other words, you stink. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's what that means. I don't know. It's going to take them two days. Now you think of this. I just mentioned the water supply from Horeb, right? They're in the middle of a desert. In addition to watering the animals and watering themselves and using water to boil or cook or whatever, they also have to wash all their clothes, all their garments, and take a bath. So, so it's, it's laundry day. And Let's go on. And, and you will set boundaries for the people around saying, Beware of ascending the mountain or touching its edge. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. Okay. They have to appreciate the awesomeness of Yahweh. He's not your buddy. He's, you know, he's not just somebody. He's God. And he always sets the rules. And you can't break the rules or you'll die. Verse 11. No hand will touch it. For he will be stoned or cast down. Whether man or beast, he will not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long, drawn-out blast, they may ascend the mountain. So Moses descended from the mountain to the people. He sanctified the people. They washed their garments. He said to the people, be ready for three days and don't go near a woman. She's busy washing your clothes. <laughs> Leave her alone. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Three days. And it came to pass on the third day when it was morning that there were thunderclaps and lightning flashes and a thick cloud was upon the mountain. Very powerful blast of a shofar. And the entire nation that was in the camp shuddered. They trembled. Well, here comes Yahweh. Ooh, can you imagine this? Yahweh, thick cloud, lightning flashes, and down he comes to Sinai. When the Son of God was seen by Ezekiel coming from the north in Ezekiel's prophecy, He looked like a, he looked like a thunderstorm. He had lightning flashing. And, and it's, it, was, it was a terrible thing to see. Until Ezekiel, of course, was permitted to go right up there. He came to Ezekiel. Ezekiel couldn't go to him. He had to come to Ezekiel. And it was, he said, I see one like the Son of God. And he was atop the Merkabah. It was a chariot throne. It was a mobile throne. Borne up by the four cherubim. And it moved very swiftly. Uh, and it was an awesome thing to behold. 
Well, in a sense, the whole nation here is seeing, I mean, this whole thing was just awful. This is the giving of the law. Here's the law, and it's awful. It's terrible. It's scary. Very powerful blast of a shofar. The whole nation trembled. Moses brought the people out toward Elohim from the camp, and they stood at the bottom of the mountain. I bet some of them were kicking and screaming too. Uh, but obviously there had to be some trust from, I mean, okay. The rule is don't touch the mountain. And then Moses said, y'all follow me. We're going to get closer to the mountain. <laughs> How would you feel about that? <coughs> okay. Um, the entire Mount Sinai smoked because Yahweh had descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The entire mountain quaked violently. The sound of the shofar grew increasingly stronger. Moses would speak and Elohim would answer him with a voice. So, rumblings, lightning, fire, smoke, a shofar, a, a trumpet sound that I'm sure was not very pleasant. It was very loud. And um, louder than that, the voice of Yahweh. Can't see him, but, but you can hear him. In the Revelation, when he speaks, John says it's like the sound of many waters. If you've ever been to a turbulent beachfront where the waves were crashing and it was rough, you'll find it difficult to argue with the ocean. You can hear it, but it won't hear you, you know. Well, you put that on a much larger scale, and here's what you have. There's, this is the best way Moses can describe it, but it's almost indescribable. Um, the, the awesomeness of the scene and the fear that surely was invoked in, in the hearts of these people. Moses would speak and Elohim would answer him with a voice. Yahweh descended upon Mount Sinai to the peak of the mountain and Yahweh summoned Moses to the peak of the mountain and Moses ascended. So he disappears into this smoke. Yahweh said to Moses, go down, warn the people lest they break their formation to go nearer to Yahweh to see Many of them will fall. So they're in their formation. They are in the formation that Moses had placed them in when they marched out of Egypt. They're organized. And this was the easiest and best way for them to move in an organized fashion to get them closer to Sinai. But now Yahweh says, remind them they're going to die if they get too close. Also the priests who go near to Yahweh will consecrate themselves, lest Yahweh wreak destruction upon them. Moses said to Yahweh, The people cannot ascend to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set boundaries for the mountain and sanctify it. But Yahweh said to him, Go, descend, and then you shall ascend, you'll come back, and Aaron, bring Aaron with you. 
But the priests and the populace, the people, will not break their formation to ascend to Yahweh, lest he wreak destruction upon them. So Moses went down to the people and said this to them. In other words, he told them what Yahweh had said. Now, this is the preparation for the giving of the law. Now, we said last time, in bits and pieces, Moses and those those leaders over thousands and hundreds and fifties, those that he had appointed, bits and pieces of the law had already been divinely revealed to Moses, who was also a prophet. And he was dealing with the uh, cases that the people had brought against each other. And you remember, you remember how it was. Jethro, his father-in-law, told him that he needed to organize this thing a little better. But now it's going to come to them in an, in an official way uh, so that they can, they can see it written by the finger of God. This whole thing is leading up to him giving the law to his people. This is something that's going to separate these people from all the rest of the people is, uh, is the giving of, these, of this law, these commandments. Uh, and, and you already know the story, but we'll see how all that works out for them uh, in the next uh, chapter or two. Okay, we'll stop there and uh, let's be dismissed with prayer. Father, we marvel at how your word has come to us in its perfection and in its glory. Thank you, Lord, that we're able to study it and read it. And thank you for the Holy Spirit who, who makes it real to us in our lives. Use us, Lord, as that royal holy priesthood that we are called to be these days, that we might proclaim these truths of your word to the rest of the world. And give us the strength and resources to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.